This is WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with Global Soul. Coming up next, Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. This is Art on the Air. It's Wednesday at 3 o'clock here in the studio. I am Rob Hessler, and over across from me is my special guest host, special guest victim of the day, Kiri Williamson. Welcome, Kiri. Glad Hi. to have you. Thank you so much for having me. So, Kiri joined me to do an interview with Jose Ray a week or two ago, a couple mm-hmm. episodes ago, and uh, she's been helping out and... It's nice to have somebody else do some of these interviews with me a little bit. And uh, and we actually, she and I, spent did the interview with uh, with Karina Rosenstein over at Sulphur Studios about 
I bleed all of the time and I'm fine, which was amazing, right? Really good, really good. Something that um, I haven't seen in a long time and was really excited when you told me about it at first, especially. Yeah, and I think that it's more than even just what I think was going to be great about this interview, too, is that the presentation of it is going to be this Friday and Saturday over at Sulphur Studios. Friday for first Friday and then Saturday it'll be available to see as well. Sulphur Studios, of course, is at 2301 Bull Street. But even beyond that, the meaning and what she's got going on, I think, is going to resonate beyond just this. And I love that about this. Yeah, I think it definitely will for sure. And I hope it's something that she kind of maybe explores even further. I know it seemed like she was writing a thesis on this as well. And I hope that it's something that we see from Karina a lot more in the future because... I'm a, a big fan of the subject matter personally. And you did a great job helping out. I mean, as a as a guy talking about menstruation, it was, you know, I didn't even know what questions to ask a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated you being there. We've also got a, several other field notes, as I mentioned in the intro. We've got Frank Unger. That's the one we're going to play first. He is one of the folks behind Earthrise Savannah at the Clyde venue. He's part of the group called Human Origins, and he is a video artist. He's an Academy Award-winning digital artist, actually. He worked on Life of Pi and won an Academy Award for for visual effects for that. So that's going to be great. And later, we've got Honor Hall talking about Dusk Till Dawn over at Starland Cafe. The exhibition's reception is this Friday as part of First Friday. The show goes through about mid-November. And then last but not least, Kench Lott talking about Sensukt, which is a, it was called, it's part of an Art on the Porch program, which was a call for art to do a piece at the Allaire building down at 41st and Drayton. And I got to tell you, I've met Kench a few times now, and I really like him a lot. He's such a weird guy. And I think you're going to really like that interview. So why don't we go ahead and get started with our first, which is going to be Frank Unger. I think you're really going to enjoy what he has to say. He is one of the coolest dudes I have met in forever. And I'm so excited to share this with you because I think he is a real hidden gem. And, well, I'm going to let you judge for yourself. Art on the Air Field Notes here. I'm with Frank Unger. He is one of the participating artists in the upcoming Earthrise event that is happening this Saturday, November 2nd. Frank, why don't you tell us what you're involved with because it's a pretty interesting collaborative project. Well, there's the infamous photo of the Earth rising up from the lunar surface. You know, we got this really cool photo and it changed uh, the perspective of humanity, really. So we used uh, the rise up idea for um, initiating change uh, with perspective uh, in ourselves and so rising up to be instruments of change uh, rising up to take part in the community getting out of social media and the little bubble that you know social media gives us is it's not uh, big enough we need to be in front of each other in presence of the human being well it's funny that you said that i was looking we we just recently became friends on facebook and i i saw a posting that you mentioned try getting off of your phone for a few hours you'll be amazed at the impact that it has on your Uh, life you know when I accepted your friend request I somewhat suspected you might fish through it a little bit so I I got prepared what did I do (laughs) good so tell us 
a little bit more about the details of your project because you're doing some video music it's an art piece it's music there's a lot of things going on tell us the specifics of what you're doing I'll be the uh, role of the video DJ really a VJ so I have software I have to bring in you know my big rig and project uh, three projectors uh, four projectors at once and we just plan on creating a immersive space that will allow people to feel inspired. Um, we'll be showing really interesting uh, artwork, uh, digital pieces that I've made, collaborations with other artists who have put in some visuals. Uh, we filmed some faces from around Savannah. I have 35 volunteers, and I simply set up a video camera. I said, okay, look in the lens for 30 seconds, and I want you, without words, to project how would you make the world a better place? What do you want to tell somebody you love but haven't yet? And I got the most amazing reactions from these 35 people. So at Earthrise, we are giving people something very special. You know, they're buying tickets for this and they're going to walk away hopefully transformed as agents of the community who will make a change. Wow, well I love that idea. And for those of you who maybe haven't heard of Frank before, You've been doing some video work in conjunction with AJ, who's one of your collaborators for this project, AJ Perez of Sulphur Studios. On the upper level of Sulphur Studios, over the last past about year and a half or so, you've done several of these projects, so some people might know these. Where does this new project with Earthrise how does it relate to those pieces that other people might have seen, and how does maybe it differ? Well, we've conducted these things upstairs at Sulphur as experiments. We've labeled them as such. We've invited friends and some family to come and check it out. And luckily we've had really sweet responses from the heart where people say, you know, I wasn't overwhelmed by what you're doing and I really like that. We've seen people just sit in a chair and stare at these landscapes that we make and we're just projecting on some white sheeting. It's incredibly simple. So it's a humbling, wonderful way to share what I do, you know, away from the computer and to see people uh, react to what we do. Well, I think that you make a good point because that's how I've experienced these works before is, you know, a lot of times during a series of art openings and you're going as a viewer, going from art opening to art opening, art opening, and it's very loud and there's a sort of experience of being at an art show opening and there's a hundred people there and everybody's talking really loudly and it was it's always nice to kind of go upstairs and then sit down and kind of relax in a more immersive space that doesn't necessarily invite chatter, but then you start looking at these video pieces and seeing that there's a lot going on there and I know that you've in the past spent some time traveling abroad and that they've had that's had some a major impact on the work that you've done so talk a little bit about that if you wouldn't mind sure in uh, 99 and 2000 I went to Kosovo to uh, video document the displaced refugees and these were families that lost their fathers to um, the war whose soldiers would come and they would kill the fathers and leave these families uh, fatherless so it impacted my life uh, majorly and I came back with the desire to show people the rest of the world to be I guess a an artistic journalist to share what is it we in our bubbles here in suburbia and you know what are we being sheltered from what a lovely term by the way artistic journalist I really like that I would love to be an artistic journalist to be honest with you 
Let's shift gears a little bit because this project is going to be taking place in a newer venue, the Clyde venue, which is down at 223 Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Have you had the opportunity to spend any time in the space? Or are you kind of going in and going to have to be, you know, having that let you influence what you're doing in that space? Well, I'm amazed at the artists that are involved and the performers that we have collected to be at this show, to do tabla, to do sitar, to dance, to show their talent through the healing arts. So we decided we've got to have a pre-production meeting and we decided to have it at the venue. I thought it would be great for us all to sit in the space, to look around uh, and to feel the heart and soul. And we sat in a big circle and everyone was smiling and so eager for this night and we're just so excited about it. I want to ask you because something that people might not know about you and it was one of the things that AJ was telling me about you is that you actually have won an Academy Award as part of your work on Life of Pi and that's of course a very beautiful movie. Tell me a little bit the differences between sort of working on a project which has artistry of course and that is a particularly artistic movie versus doing something like this, which is really kind of art for art's sake. It has a meaning behind it, but it's very much like the art is what it is. Sure. Working for Life of Pi and two other movies, you know, working in a room with uh, people from eight other countries is unlike anything. That was an experience that has transformed me. But being here in Savannah with the local artists and talking to them and making friends with them is, is better than any of that. Uh, because I'm able to share, we're all able to share and volunteer quite a bit of our time because it's what we love doing. And I don't have the pressure of supervisors uh, you know, staring over my shoulder uh, with the time limit. So I'm not under those kinds of constraints, and that's huge. Uh, at one point during Making Life of Pi, we were told we were moving into tens. And I thought, what is this tens thing? And I asked you know, my, my coworkers, and that means, oh, that's a 10-hour day. So then we moved into 12s, and we're having these 12-hour days that are mandatory. You know, we sign a contract. So there goes my personal life. And so here in Savannah, I have a personal life. I want to mention, you're talking about being here in Savannah, and you did graduate from the Savannah College of Art and Design in 2010. You mentioned that that was a little bit later in life, but that you do have decided to stay here and invest your life in this space, and that's something we were talking about before the recording began. So talk a little bit about that and sort of the role that embracing being in Savannah and staying where you are and trying to do what you can here versus, okay, I'm done with this I got my certificate, I'm heading out of town. Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot harder to stick around and uh, get out of apathy. For me personally, I'm speaking from being depressed, from being tired for, as a parent of twins, uh, dealing with these basics, you know, having to do laundry and change the cat boxes. You know, I've got to work really hard to get out there and to just smile, you know, go to the grocery store and say hi to people. This is how I'm trying to make a difference, just day by day and hour by hour. So it's living the grind uh, with each other and sharing some of these agonies of, of the daily grind and uh, having a good time together and getting together at night on a Friday when you have nothing better to do and hanging up some sheets with some projectors. Well, and one of the things I do love about a smaller city like Savannah is that it offers the opportunity for motivated people to actually make a real difference rather than when you move to a big city where you become a part of the fabric of that city and it changes you. And so I think that there is some of that that's going on there. And I'm hoping that this incredible event that you guys are putting on will 
influence the people who come and see it. <laughs> I just want to say that this, uh, this event should be an artistic opportunity for everybody bridging the gap between performer and spectator, you know. Interactive is, is a cliche word in my book because everything should be interactive. My God, we should look at each other in our eyes, we should dance, we should have fun. And we're not affiliated with any kind of belief system, we're not humanists, even though we're human origins, you know, we're promoting uh, artistic, transformative change within ourselves to be instruments of change that will influence the earth. But I learned through Life of Pi that, oh my gosh, look what you can do as a team. At the very end of the credits, Ang Lee credits 300,000 people that were uncredited. So, you know, students at SCAD, they endeavor, oh my gosh, if I could just get my uh, name in the credits. Well, you know what happens? You get your name in the credits and you sit in the crowd in the auditorium and you hold your cell phone up and you tape yourself in the credits among this massive ocean of names. And if that is going to pull you away from your family, that you're gonna take up a job in Toronto or Australia to be separated from your loved ones, you know, is it really worth it? And I encourage any student going into that profession, the visual arts, to really think about where you're going to do this and uh, hold your career special to you because it is your investment and don't put down stepping stones because stepping stones are made out of the same thing. Frank Unger, digital artist and advocate for humanity. Thank you so much for being on Art on the Air Field Notes today. Let me give the details of the project one more time. Earthrise Savannah is this Saturday, November 2nd at the Clyde venue at 223 Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Tickets are necessary. You can buy them at the door or in advance. It's from 6.30 p.m to 10 p.m. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure, and I really hope to see you all on November 2nd. Welcome back into the studio. You're listening to Art on the Air on WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. That was Frank Unger. He is such a great dude. I, I'm so, that was the first, well, I met him one other time before, and I will admit, and I do apologize to him for this, I didn't remember meeting him. I met him through AJ, who he worked with on this Human Origins project. And um, gosh, he's just got some great positive energy, just a really nice and cool dude. And, I, and I'm hoping that, you know, this is a, I think this is a really special event. So Earthrise Savannah, it's at the Clyde venue. As I mentioned, all the details were in that interview. But I kind of wanted to mention a little bit more. He talked about the concept of an immersive experience. And he was talking a little bit about how that's sort of cliche. Like everybody says um, immersive experience. But I think he really means it. Like they're expecting people to engage and they're going to be engaging people in this event and um you know there are tickets available you can find all the information for that on facebook there's an eventbrite link there was an article that rachel flora did for connect savannah it just came out i think it came out today actually so you can check that out either at connectsavannah.com or you can you know pick up a copy and it will give you all of the details there frank is a um i think he's a great guy and we already spoke about having him come on the radio show in a in a more um, sit-down, live sort of situation because I think he's got a lot of wisdom and um, 
man, I mean, you know, not often you get to have an Academy Award winner in the studio. I mean, in your interview, in your show. So really, but he was so humble about it, though. Like he didn't really he wasn't making a big deal about it at all. Well, look, let's move on to our next interview, which is with Honor Hall. And she's going to be talking about Dusk Till Dawn, her exhibition over at Starland Cafe. And the reception is going to be happening as part of First Fridays in Starland. Honor has been on the show before as an in-studio guest with Greg Eltringham as part of Friendship Magic Collective. She's been on for her exhibition that she did again with Greg at the Drawing Room, the newer venue, the Drawing Room, also kind of known as The Lodge. But I wanted to get an update not just on this exhibition where she's being she's taking some chances, doing some experimentation, but also on what she's been up to, including some details about her bus wrap. So listen up. I will tell you, this was at Starland Cafe. And let me tell you, it was hopping in there. So you're going to hear people in the background, but that's the beauty of an in-place interview. Listen up. Rob Hessler here with Art on the Air Field Notes. I'm with Honor Hall. We are at Starland Cafe, and we're going to be talking about Dusk Till Dawn, her current exhibition. It'll be going through mid-November, but the closing reception is going to be a part of First Friday, November 1st, from 6 to 9 p.m., again here at Starland Cafe. Honor, why don't you tell us what this show is all about? That's a really good question. I wanted to do a show of paintings that are a little bit more painterly and chance-based and kind of visceral than the way I normally paint, which is very geometric and strict, taped off. And I really just have this impulse to look at the landscape of Savannah, which to me is very kind of loose and rainy and full of reflection and movement and to try to kind of capture that in the paint. So this is more of an experimental body of work for me, for sure. The paint is just moving on the surface a different way and it's certainly more impressionistic. So that's the concept for the show. Well, I love that you use the term in describing Savannah as rainy because there is a reference to that in a lot of these pieces. And in fact, you've used a style that you've used in your paintings before, the drips that are coming uh-huh. off of like sort of the orb or circular forms mm-hmm. that when you add in the term rainy, it fits perfectly together. And I think without that word rainy, it's sort of like, what's happening here? But to me, it's like the idea that the sky is full of moisture. You know, we know it's humid here. So when you look at the sun, it's not a perfectly round sun every day. A lot of times it's kind of moving and distorted in the sky. And to me, that's what the drips are really about. Well, let me ask you about some of the specific subject matter, because there's a couple of pieces that have very specific references. There's a, an image that says gun show on it, which I, of course, love. I mentioned that before we started talking. There's another one that says marble cleaners. Talk a little bit about the choices that you made in what you decided to reference that were specific locations in Savannah. So one of the other pieces I have going is my collection of paint pen drawings of buildings and signs in Savannah. And 
I really just kind of went through my drawings and picked out a few that I thought were especially kind of indicative of our sense of place here. The gun show billboard is one of my favorites because it's kind of a seasonal, it makes a seasonal appearance. It's that bright yellow gun show billboard. And when I moved here, that was like one of the things that really jumped out at me as like a cultural shift I was experiencing. So that's why I needed to paint that. And then I just love that marble cleaners building on Bay Street. It's completely derelict, but it's such a beautiful building and the sign is painted in such kind of a careful way. So geometric against what I wanted to do in the sky, which has a lot more movement. And then I also have a piece, a rosette lounge piece in this show too. I love the hand-painted rosette lounge signage on that building too. So I just wanted to explore some of the hand-painted and kind of hallmark of Savannah signs that we have. Around. Yeah, and those hand-painted signs are disappearing. They're, they were yeah. done, A lot of them were done in the 70s and 80s and totally. 90s by some painters and we got we had Jimmy Williams on who is an old sign painter in the 70s and 80s and he described doing those and they're trying you know they are disappearing so it's kind of nice to to capture those I think so and I started drawing the paint pens of the signs like a year-ish ago a little over a year ago and since I started some of the signs I've been drawing have been painted over so for me, it's really important to keep going with kind of capturing those through through the larger paintings, like in the show and the smaller little drawings, just to make a record of them, a yeah. catalog, because they are kind of going away. Well, the last time that we talked to you, we did see some of those sign drawings at your show over at the drawing room. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about what you've been up to over the last year and a half since you were in the studio, mm -hmm. you and Greg Eltringham as Friendship Magic Collective. Yep. You did a bus wrap? I did. I did a painting that SCAD acquired and they turned it into a bus wrap. I love my bus. It's the ice cream cone one with the mountains. And the best thing about it to me is that's work that I made in Alaska, and it's a painting of Alaska. It's a real ice cream sign in Palmer, Alaska, real mountain range. That's the Chugach Mountains. So to me, it's like a little piece of Alaska driving around Savannah, and I just love seeing it. <laughs> I love it, too. I mean, I've seen it around, and it's funny because I, I believe I had seen you post up about that on social media that you mm -hmm. did that project but it's also people who know your work I don't think it's too hard to make the leap and say oh no. that's Honor Hall's piece right yeah, there yeah I think that's my favorite thing about it too other than it being Alaska it's, like, it's such a me piece because it's hot pink and very graphic and it has the kind of sideways drips so well before we went on the air too you've been talking about how you've been doing a lot of other painting as well for some other projects you had a couple of pieces up in the open studio night at Alexander that was last week I have three Three big pool paintings. I've been painting pools lately. I think it just came out of taking a lot of vacations. And since I'm an artist, I can't stop photographing. I would take my phone into the pool with me and photograph the surface of the water. And it just grew into this body of work that has really kind of changed my life. I made a tiny pool painting and then woke up to all this response on social media, Scott had reached out to me and ordered a 5 by 15 foot pool that they installed in Atlanta a couple months ago at their new building. And so since then I've been painting the pools and really kind of loving, exploring something that moves in a very static way with graphic painting. 
Yeah. Well, and the color palette you've been using for those is just perfect. I mean, it, it's right in line with what you do. It's teal, which is probably my number one painting color. And then I had to have some hot pink in there, so one of the pieces has pool noodles. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, let's let's shift back to this show here. You've got the, as I mentioned, the the reception is going to be November 1st as part of First Fridays in Starland here at Starland Cafe. What can people expect? It's from 6 to 9 p.m. What can people expect for the closing reception? I hope you'll just come out and visit me and talk to me about the work. I'll be here the whole time and I think the main thing to expect is just to connect with the community a little bit because just even in this block in Starland there's so many great things happening on Friday. So I'm hoping people will come out for the art walk. Thank you so much, Honor Hall, for being on Art on the Air Field Notes today. I love your show, and I hope lots of people come and see it. Thanks, Rob. I always love talking to you. And that was Honor Hall on Art on the Air on WRUULP Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. What'd you think there, Carrie? I really liked it. Um, I think I'm going to see if uh, maybe Julie and I can get over to this one before it closes up because I am excited to see this kind of uh, little watery version of Savannah that she's got going on. It's a good show. I mean, I love Honor's work, and I have for a long time. And um, and I think that's such a good place to see art, too, because you mm-hmm. just, you know, I've said this many times, but most people spend between three and four seconds in front of a piece of artwork at a gallery or a museum but at a cafe, you're kind of sitting there eating your sandwich, right. drinking, eating your soup or whatever, and you're going to watch, look at it for a while. You get a lot of time to kind of look around and see what's going on around you. kind of creates a little milling sort of uh, vibe about it, especially if you've got yourself like a little munch or a little uh, something to sip on. It definitely <laughs> helps to just kind of take your time and really take it all in. Which yeah, is nice. yeah, yeah, and that's a good spot. And uh, of course, Starland Cafe is at 11 East 41st Street. Oh my gosh, my wife has just called me out for talking about soup on this radio show. She is absolutely right. We will throw that soup in the trash. Get yourself a sandwich. Eat something real. Soup is not a meal. <laughs> Thank you, Kiri. Thank you. I knew I chose right in having you in the studio. Here it is today. a lovely accoutrement, and that is all. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll talk about why soup is terrible on another episode. But for now, we got to take our mid-show break. We've got a couple of uh, quick announcements. Again, this is Art on the Air on WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings Community Radio with Global Soul. On the other side of this break, Ken Schlott Weathers and our feature interview for the week, Karina Rosenstein. She is somebody who I think you're really going to enjoy. We will be right back. Telfair Museums will present Savannah artist William Kwamina Poe talking about his exhibit, The Journey is Mine, Chapter 1, about his native Ghana, on Thursday, November 14th at 6 p.m. at the Jepson Center for the Arts on Telfair Square in Savannah. For more information, visit telfair.org. And we are back in the studio. Rob Hessler here with Kiri Williamson, your two hosts for Art on the Air this week. And we've got a couple more interviews coming up. I wanted to mention, you heard the little 
promo there for William Quamina Poe, and he is going to be coming into the studio here in the next couple of weeks to talk about his exhibition over at the Telfair Jepson Center as part of the Art 912 program. So I'm really excited to have him in. I had a chance to talk to him about a month ago. Oh my gosh, his work is so good, you guys. If you want to give him a little quick Google and see what he's up to, his work is its just unbelievable. And um, I was turned on to him by, by uh, my art hero in Savannah, Jerome Meadows, and I am so glad that I was because I think he is just so f- he's phenomenal. So we're going to be talking to him in the next couple of weeks so you can, you can get yourself prepared for that. But we're going to get back into it here on Art on the Air. <laughs> On our Halloween episode. The spooky episode. So spooky. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Kench Lot Weathers coming up, and I think you're going to really like Kench. He just has this great... I I love his work, and it's. I think he's doing some interesting things, and I just really like him as a person, and I bet you're going to be charmed by him, too, in this interview. We'll be right back. Rob Hessler here with Art on the Air Field Notes. I'm with Kench Lot Weathers. We are at 41st and Drayton at the site of his new installation project. Kench, about a month and a half, two months ago, a proposal opportunity went out for local artists to do a site-specific art installation at the Allaire building at 41st and Drayton. And you put together a proposal and ended up doing that. So talk about your proposal that you put together for this project. And then we'll get into the details of what it's looking like now because there's a lot of stuff going on here. So the, the original concept was home. I'm sticking to these German themes, influenced by the, uh, the German constructivist, which influences my work as well. And so this German word, Sinsucht, translates to a yearning of the past and the future. So the original proposal was meant for a concept of home. The state of home is always changing, right? And there's also a perception of home that's always changing as well. The physical nature of home is changing. What I do in my work, I use a bit of trompoy both in three-dimensionality and two-dimensionality. And so what I've done in the frontal part of the building was use uh, 2D structures, powder-coated steel, and then it turns the corner and they turn three-dimensional. Also, there's gonna be lights involved as well, which is influenced by Dan Flavin one of my you know, favorite artists. And it's all non-representational geometric forms. So it's influenced by the op artists as well. I have multiple influences, the minimalist, the op artist, constructivist. What the op artists were about was the viewer became a participant and people are driving down this road Hopefully, you know, they don't crash, but... Uh, <laughs> well, there's beautiful blue panels. I mean, it's yes. certainly going to draw attention. Okay, so the viewer becomes the participant, and that's what... Also, one of the reasons why I use non-representational forms is I like the universal qualities of using non-representation because it can relate to a broader demographic. So people are driving down the road, and they see this, these forms, and, um, you know, hopefully a bit of trumploy is, is involved in that. I like to make three-dimensional forms look flat and two-dimensional forms look three-dimensional. So you're using a lot of powder blue flat panels right. that interconnect to each other as the installation goes across the face of the Allaire building right. at this corner here and curves around the intersection from 41st and then down to Drayton towards actually the riverfront. 
talk a little bit about that, like the actual construction of the panels, like putting this all together, because okay. this, is a, this is a pretty big the, project. The, the, the color palette or the, the actual construction or both? Both. Or? I mean, I'm curious. Yeah. So as somebody, you know, I do drawing and I do installation work, but this is like... You're using heavy pieces of metal, yeah, yeah. and you're, there's a part of that process that a viewer is not going to know just by looking at it. So I, I think our listeners would like to hear something about oh, that. Oh, as to why I use steel. Yeah, rather just than like, just and like how vinyl. you do it. In, okay, right. um, so I started welding a few years ago, and I like the sustainability of steel. Bring back the minimalists. They were about the actual material itself. I don't think that what it's, what's it about. I think that it's about the sustainability of it and it's going to be outside and actually this is going to be mixed media. So where the door starts and the window starts, it's going to be vinyl and the same hue of, of the steel. So it'll be monochromatic, but with different, with mixed media, steel, vinyl, and light. Mm. I'm speaking to you here on Monday. Yeah. And there is a reception on unveiling on Friday. Yeah. And there are a lot of panels laying all over the ground here. Right. And they're all wrapped in plastic. And you're using Summer like, up. So when are you going to sleep this week? I don't, I don't know. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of caffeine and nicotine, I guess. Nicotine gum, not cigarettes. So I'll tell you about the influence of the, the blue, right? So the, the ceiling. So initially, Walter Strong, you know, came up with that. His influence was modern and contemporary architects, uh, particularly in New York. So I looked up the architecture firm that was his influence, and the forms were similar to mine. And I looked at the color palette, and it's that the same blues, and also the ceiling is blue, and that ceiling is influenced by the um, the haint blue, the Gola of the Gola people. You mentioned the architect strong and you found a sort of interesting detail that this actually connects to your family from over a hundred years ago so talk a little bit about that because i think that's a really cool detail right so the contractors who who run Alaire homes are the the strong family the uh gallery really liked my work and they said i would like this project and and they were having a back and forth with the the managers of this company and so i'm i write in the proposal i go to make measurements and when i'm Getting directions, it says, you know, the Strong family been in Savannah for... And I go here and make measurements, and I talk to Jessica, and, you know, she gives me the measurements, and and I said, you know, are this is this the Strong family? Like, how long have they been in Savannah? She said, for a while. So my grandmother is from Savannah. She was a Strong. Um, she was born in Abercorn. So we are descendants of Charles Hall Strong. He was the priest of St. John's Episcopal, and he was an author, an author as well. And I have his book from uh, the 1800s. It's about heaven. Um, so when I get the proposal, I you know I bring the book and uh, show them, and we're talking we're talking about the project as well. But we also talking about stories that our you know grandparents and parents told us about you know our great great grandfather and and the descendants of that. Yeah, you're a. A, a distant relative of the I, people. I am. We're third cousins. So during the recep the reception, I'm gonna bring my mother, who is um, a part of that family, and uh, you know, just gonna meet her. I guess second and third cousins, possibly. Yeah. Very like cool. That. Well, speaking of the reception, now first Friday in Starland, this coming November first, you're going to be having the unveiling, as we sort of mentioned. What can people expect on that night? There's going to be lights, vinyl, and uh, steel, <laughs> and hopefully beer. It'll be nice. There's going to be designers, architects, other creatives in the area. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. It's a really cool project. 41st in Drayton, the Allaire building right there on the corner. It's 28 Drayton Street, Kench Lot Weathers. 
thank you so much for being on Art on the Air Field Notes today to talk about Sensuit. I appreciate it. I appreciate the time. And that is the song Sensuit by Rammstein. And Ken Schlott Weathers had no idea that Rammstein had a whole record called Sensuit. Wow. No, that really (laughs) takes me back to my scene days in high school, too. Wait, wait. Your singing days in high school? No, scene. Scene. (laughs) That is like the uh, kind of like the... The red-headed stepchild of the goth family, I guess you could say, is a good way to uh, to describe the scene hey, kid now. of hey. the mid two thousands. Hey, now we do not we do not disparage redheads on this radio <laughs> show. Shout out to my friend Lila. We love everybody equally here on this show. Come on, Kiri. My mom's a redhead. I love them too. <laughs> but the saying's the saying. <laughs> of course, that was Kench. Lot Weathers, and you might notice I weirdly said Kench Lot Weathers in that because I had been calling him just Kench Lot the entire interview, and he at the very end said, "Oh, by the way, it's Kench Lot Kench Lot Weathers." So I recorded a little snippet of that and put it in wherever I said Kench Lot, so it sounds very strange, but that's okay for a Halloween episode. We've got like no time. Kiri and I wanted to talk about the Karina Rosenstein exhibition that's over at Sulphur Studios or her project that's at Sulphur Studios as part of the OnView residency, but we don't have any time to talk about it. We've got to get into our final interview with Karina. It's a 17-minute field note. I think you guys are going to love this. This is one of my favorite interviews I've done this whole year, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's got an important message. We'll catch you next week. I've got Brittany Reedy from the 2201. It's a new DIY project space next week. And bringing in a special guest host, Kevin Clancy from The Hen House, because we're going to talk all about DIY projects, how you do DIY in Savannah. And The Hen House is a great example of a successful DIY. So the three of us are going to talk about that. Can't wait to have uh, to have you listen up next Wednesday and every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. on WRUULP Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM and WRUU.org. We are Savannah Soundings Community Radio with Global Soul. Kiri, thank you for stepping in today. Thank you so much for having me today, Rob. She will be back. We're going to be having we're going to be working together on a lot, a lot of projects. So look for her on future episodes. Now let's get to our interview with Karina Rosenstein. Rob Hester here with Kiri Williamson, Art on the Air Field Notes. We're speaking today with Karina Rosenstein at her OnView residency space. Her project is called I Bleed All the Time and I'm Fine, Social Practice and Menstruation. Karina, why don't you tell us what the project is all about? Hi everyone, thanks for having me on the air. It's really nice to, you know, to be asked to be on this program. So I bleed all the time and I'm fine. I'll talk about the the title first. It's a reference to this idea that menstruators are, are vampires and that we bleed all the time. How can it be that we're still alive and that we're still functioning humans? But it's a it's a part of our biology and it's something totally normal. And then the I'm fine part of it is also a reference to how when someone asks you how you're doing if you respond I'm fine you're kind of deflecting maybe you don't want to answer that question in front of that 
particular person or you don't want to actually investigate how you're doing yourself. And I think that can be related to how people that menstruate, how we deal with our own menstruation and, and the maybe the stigma that we've internalized around it. So not everyone has internalized stigma around menstruation. Not everyone is ashamed of it or, or maybe they have moved past that shame, but it's still very relevant and very real for, for many people in the US and definitely abroad. So I just wanted to, to create, you know, space for to talk about both of those things within the same title. And then the project itself is composed of two different projects. So there's Menstruation for President and Menstruation Confidant. And Menstruation for President, I, I like to call it a faux political campaign with a real mission. And that mission is to make menstruation more visible because there's a lot of scholars that I admire, like Chris Bobel, based out of, of UMass, Brianne Foz. There, there's so many amazing um, feminist you know scholars that are researching menstruation and they they tend to think that if we can just make it more visible if we can talk about it more if we can if we can get rid of that stigma you know we're, we'll be able to better advocate for our rights as as people that menstruate so that's the goal here is just to to make it a normal topic of conversation like my lawn sign says <laughs> and the menstruation for president campaign has the same accoutrements as a, a normal political campaign. So we have the campaign office that we're currently sitting in, and then we've got uh, the merchandise. So there's lawn signs, there's bumper stickers, and, and maybe most importantly, we've got the canvassing. And the canvassing is happening every Sunday from 4.30 to 6, and I have um, a few amazing volunteers that are helping me to do it. We're going around Savannah to as many homes as we can, but we are a small group, so our scale is limited. And we're just knocking on doors and asking people to talk with us about menstruation. What do you know about it? How do you feel about it? Really vague, but we just want people thinking about it and, and being prompted to, to engage in a conversation about it. Uh, we think that's really valuable. And then Menstruation Confidant is the other project, and it's more subdued, it's more demure. Basically, I've created these patches, and they say Menstruation Confidant on them. And um, we're about 10 people in total that are wearing them for a range of between 23 to 36 days around town. And the idea with them is, is also to prompt conversation, but in a more, in a less aggressive way. And my volunteers, you know, can execute it however they want. So they can wear it wherever they want. They can choose to go up to people and talk to them or or just wear it more passively and see if anyone um, asks them about it. Both of these projects are very much an experiment. So the idea is just to see what happens and then maybe I'll, we'll do another iteration farther down the line. I actually do have a lot of questions as a person who menstruates and was also super ashamed when I was a kid, especially and somebody who has been lucky enough to just kind of find the humor and everything and just move past that, which I think is a big part of what we could all do here. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious as just what's been your responses so far when you're canvassing with people? That's a good question. They've been really varied. So we spoke to a nurse that was that was really happy that we were canvassing, but really didn't feel any stigma herself. Right. Sometimes it's people that we knock on a door and a, and a man answers and he says, 
I don't know what that is. <laughs> we, keep, we keep explaining the project. And then he says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm really busy. Or like, <laughs> or let me get my wife. <laughs> because apparently only women can talk about this. So yeah, it, it really varies. It also depends on, on the neighborhood. We've, we're trying to tackle different demographics in Savannah, just, right. you know, to, to canvas as like, in a way that represents what the area is like. So that also maybe has an impact. But we, apart from the documentation that we've been doing while we canvass, so some of my canvassers write their comments about how the day went, um, and we mark you know, how many people we talk to and where we're giving out lawn signs. We haven't yet had a like an unpacking session where we talk about everything and right. you know what the summary was. And so I'm excited to do that because I want to document that more formally and maybe make a zine about it. I want to ask you, outside of the context of this project that you're doing, which has specific goals in mind, you mention in your project description a concept called menstrual culture, because I had never heard that term before. So what does that mean? I mean, thinking about menstrual culture, it can en- encompass a whole range of, of feelings and conceptions around menstruation. There's actually a scholar called Brianne Foz. She's got a great book called Out for Blood. In it, she writes about how the way that our parents have spoken to us about menstruation when we were younger really affects how we perceive of it, you know, if we have a positive outlook on it or not. And so I think, you know, as she writes, that's a really big impact on how people that menstruate go about their lives thinking about menstruation and feeling about their bodies. But there's also a host of things that can impact, you know, how you think of it as well. Like coming into contact with feminist thought for me was was one way that I started to unlearn a lot of, of shame that I had around my own period. But while traditionally I would say menstrual culture probably relates to something that the scholar David Linton has written about. He wrote an, an article called The Menstrual Masquerade. It was about this phenomenon that women and, and like anyone that menstruates enacts where where basically we go through life pretending we don't have a period. So we never talk about it. We hide all of our products when we're on our way to the bathroom, for example, or, or maybe in our homes or if we're at someone else's home and we're on our period and we throw away a pad or a tampon, we always wrap, wrap it that in. Boy up. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's not visible. You know, there's a, a number of ways that people that menstruate hide their menstruation like it's a dirty secret that mm-hmm. you never want anyone to know. You know, and, and then I remember being in middle school and high school and leaking through my pants was maybe the, the most horrifying thing that could happen to me. Or literally yeah. just being worried that you were like constantly on your period as a kid. There's so little information I felt as a child, for me specifically, even as a person whose parent was kind of a medical professional, constantly afraid. Anytime you were just like sweating or like, oh my God, I'm on my period, I'm sweating, I'm leaking through my pants, it's... Yeah, exactly. And I think, like I said, it's not everyone experiences this. Not everyone experiences it in the same way. We all like perceive of our bodies differently Mm -hmm. and the way that we perceive of them changes with time as well. People menstruate for from puberty to menopause. It's a long time. It's seven years of your life altogether. So I would love to ask a question about your audience when you thought about doing this project did you have an idea of this project being specifically for people who menstruate or were you really hoping it would be for people who don't menstruate to kind of maybe bring that menstruation culture and that menstrual culture kind of maybe more forward and a little sooner 
I make you know fine art as well, and and I'm also writing a paper, and I know that the people that are going to read that paper and look at that fine art and come to the show are going to be a very small group of people. With maybe they're all art professionals, or they're somehow tapped into the art scene in Savannah. Um, and I wanted to reach people that were not a part of that scene, that um, maybe never think about art or never, more importantly, like never think about periods. And ideally, anyone would be my audience, like not just people that menstruate, but, but people that don't, people that are men- postmenopausal, uh, young children, you know, anyone that comes to the door, right, um, right. I would love as an audience. Have you encountered any of those young children? Because that's kind of what I was thinking a lot. And have you felt any, like, resistance from maybe parents or anyone that maybe doesn't want you to interact with those younger people about it? That's a great question. So not me personally. We, we go into two groups when we canvas. Mm-hmm. And um, my two canvassers, Sam and Caroline, they talked to me about an experience where they knocked on a door and a man answered. And they started talking to him about menstruation. And all of a sudden, his wife shows up and she says, oh, you know, he has six daughters, but I don't want him to know about this. Like, I just don't share this information with him. Right. So have a good day. Thanks for coming. And then wow. and then they, they close the door. Right. So that's really the only child-related experience that okay. we've had so far. I, I've canvassed before for political campaigns, and mm-hmm. sometimes kids do answer the, the door, but not right. in this case, unfortunately. So we've knocked on maybe somewhere close to like 77 doors awesome. um, and hopefully we'll reach the double of that by the time this pro- this project is over so there's still hope that we'll talk to a youth awesome. yeah it hasn't happened yet well and of course there's an opportunity for young people to speak with you at the final presentation of your project on first Friday for November yeah. I wanted to ask you about the potential results of this because you're talking about the shame and worry and concern and the lack of dialogue about menstruation and you both you and Kiri have described moving past that feeling Mm -hmm. as people I wonder what potential benefits you can see that society would gain by the removal of this kind of shame and and guilt that is associated with menstruation that this project is really aiming to tackle so since 2016 We've seen a lot of movement around menstruation in, in politics. So a few states have repealed their sales tax on menstrual products. And I think New York you know, passed a law stating that they were going to provide uh, free period products in, in schools and shelters and, and prisons. And then there's, there's an amazing youth movement led by the period organization that was started by Nadia Okamoto. And they are advocating for the same things. They just actually, they launched a national period day on October 19th. And this whole year they're working towards like various legislative goals where they're trying to get, you know, those two things to happen for for sales tax to be repealed on period products and for free products to be available to, to people that need them. So those two things, if they were to be widespread, if, you know, Savannah were to offer free products in its schools and its shelters and you know, anywhere, anywhere where people that need them can access them, that would be fabulous. I know that there is a, like a group of people already collecting products to, to distribute freely in Savannah. But other than that, I think there's a, an activist I really like, and she's Spanish. Her name is Erika Irusta, and she wrote a book, a manifesto called um, Show Menstruo, Show Monstruo, and it's in English that means 
I menstruate, I am a monster. <laughs> and um, she writes about how little information we have regarding our period. We know like what causes cramps. It's a, an excess of a hormone that, that tells our uterus to contract so that we can release blood, so that we can you know shed our lining. But when we have too much of it, that's when we experience cramps, and we don't know why there are people that have too much of that mm. hormone you know, that tells us to contract our muscles. So we just need more information our, about our bodies. We also don't know the long-term effects of shutting down our reproductive systems. So, I mean, and in general, we don't have enough medical research on, on women's bodies, on, on trans bodies, you know, on anyone essentially that's not a man. We, we don't have enough research to, to really make informed choices about our bodies and, um, and what medications we should be taking regarding our periods or if we should be taking any at all, if there's a way we can better manage them and our cramps, etc. So that's what I'm hoping for personally. Mm-hmm. Much of the same, in my opinion, as well. You know, there is a huge, huge lack of information when it comes to our bodies, when mm-hmm. it comes to the products we use for our bodies. There is no regulation for what you can make a tampon with, pretty much. They can make those things with anything, <laughs> you know, and they don't have to tell you what's in it when they make them. It's that that's an issue, you know, the fact that there's no transparency in our own, you know, in our own products. For me personally, I don't use tampons anymore. I can't. Mm-hmm. And it's even that conversation with people. I can't have that conversation with a lot of people, even female friends, without them being very uncomfortable, you know. And there's a huge, even stigma of people. I know when I say, like, oh, I prefer pads, that's what I use. There's yeah. this very odd stigma of among women. Oh, wow, how disgusting. Right. You sit in a diaper of your own blood all day. And I'm mm-hmm. like, and I suffer from less than half of the cramps that I did. Mm-hmm. If it's what I have to deal with, then, you know, at one point we were just letting it run. I would love that type of menstrual culture. <laughs> it would be great. You're an advocate for free bleeding. I'm a huge advocate <laughs> for free bleeding. I cool. think that there's a there's just a stigma that we're dirty, yeah. you know, that there's something dirty about it. Yeah. And if that can be taken away, that shame, I think, is the biggest thing. That's a huge, huge part. If girls, especially, you feel that shame so immediately as soon as you know that you're, you know, becoming a a woman, that's mm-hmm. an immediate shame that I feel like a significant out, amount of women that I know mm-hmm. have all, you know, experienced and have all expressed that they experience. And yeah. what could we achieve as women if, you know, one of our main feelings about ourselves as women is not shame, mm-hmm. you know? Karina Rosenstein, the project is called I Bleed All the Time and I'm Fine Social Practice and Menstruation. The final presentation of the project will be on Friday, November 1st as part of First Fridays in Starland over at Sulphur Studios at 2301 Bull Street. Thank you for appearing on Art on the Air Field Notes today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at WRUU.org. And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air.